Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It's The Late Show Pot Show with Stephen Colbert. Lewis Cato, tonight, what an honor... Uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein are here. Ooh. Woodward and Bernstein are here. Yeah. We're going to break, break it down. And just uh, we're talking about Watergate in just yeah. a moment here. I just want to I just want to throw a little plug in uh, for a guest we had here a couple of weeks ago. We had Julia Roberts on, who is uh, producing and starring in Gaslit over on the Stars uh, Network, I believe. If you haven't seen it, it's about it's about Watergate. Yeah. It's about Watergate. It's amazing. She plays Margaret Mitchell, Martha Mitchell. She plays Martha Mitchell. Sean Penn is an amazing John Mitchell, attorney general for, for Nixon. Uh, Dan Stevens is John Dean. And Betty Gilpin is amazing as Mo Dean. I'm not getting paid extra for this, right? No. This is just purely from the heart. It's a great series. <laughs> Go check it out. All right. Woo. Now, they could. They could pay me if they wanted. Folks, if you're enjoying the January 6th hearings, fun fact, this Friday happens to be the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in. In In June of 1972, my guests tonight, reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, began reporting in the Washington Post, one of the biggest political stories in American history, the break-in and bugging of the Democratic National Headquarters at the Watergate Hotel, aided by their secret FBI source, Mark Felt, a.k.a. Deep Throat, named, of course, after the infamous 1970s porn film... Mark Felt. (laughs) Their reporting linked the crime to President Richard Nixon, and soon after, the Watergate Committee was established, holding 51 sessions televised gavel to gavel, and which produced a slew of the 1970s equivalent of viral moments that changed public opinion. Like when Committee Vice Chairman, Republican Senator Howard Baker, asked this now famous question. What did the president know, and when did he know it? as opposed to today, when it's, who did the president text, and why was it Sean Hannity? (laughs) The committee compelled explosive testimony from insiders, like former White House counsel John Dean, who testified that Nixon himself orchestrated the cover-up and ordered the FBI not to investigate it. It was stunning for the president to be sold out by a member of his inner circle. It would be like the January 6th committee hearing testimony from a 12-piece bucket. (laughs) But... The biggest bombshell was the revelation that Nixon had a tape recorder in the Oval Office that captured the whole cover-up. A bombshell that Nixon's one-time deputy assistant, Alexander Butterfield, dropped very reluctantly. Mr. Butterfield, are you aware of the installation of any listening devices in the Oval Office of the President? I was aware of listening devices. Yes, sir. Damn. That is the pause of a kid who knows dad has the goods. (laughs) Tyler, are you aware of any pornography sites in my work laptop's browser history? (laughs) I 
am aware of those sites. <laughs> yes, sir. Nixon ordered the tapes withheld. Then he ordered the tapes destroyed. But thanks to the work of the committee, he was ordered by the Supreme Court to turn them over, and they were loaded with evidence of him incriminating himself. So, pro tip. If you're ever committing a crime against the United States, remember, do not record <laughs> yourself doing crimes. The Watergate hearings had a massive impact from the day they began to the day Nixon resigned. The number of Americans who thought Nixon should be removed from office jumped from 19% to 57%. The only case ever made more persuasively on television is the one curtailing the Real Housewives' legal access to white wine. <laughs> the process worked exactly as it should 50 years ago, so I hope the January 6th committee follows the example they set in 1973 right down to forcing all the witnesses to enter the chamber via Soul Train dance line. <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk to the reporters who broke the Watergate story 50 years ago, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. My guests tonight are Pulitzer Prize-winning titans of journalism who've been reporting for over 50 years. Combined, they've written 25 books, including their latest titles, Peril and Chasing History. Please welcome the truly legendary Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. Gentlemen, thank, thank you uh, both for being here. I've, inter I've interviewed both of you individually. This is the first time I've seen you in, you know, in full form, the two of you together, back, bring the band back together here. Um, you, you were here because not only is this Friday the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in, but you have a new 50th anniversary edition of All the President's Men, right there, your, your classic book, <laughs> On the Watergate Scandal. <laughs> and it says, with a new foreword on what Watergate means today, I'll bite. <laughs> what does Watergate mean to us today? H have you been watching the hearings? Yeah. I mean, obsessively. I think they're great hearings. Mm -hmm. I think it not only tells you what happened, but at the center of this is who is Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is somebody... Uh, You've got to make a tough judgment. But he did all of these things. And it is a crime in the simplest definition to try to subvert the uh, legitimate function of government. And this is to certify on January 6th who's president. If they don't do that, we don't have a precedent. I mean, if Pence... Or a democracy. Just, or a democracy. Uh, if Pence had just walked off and said, oh, sorry, never mind. I'm sorry, that's another show. 
And, <laughs> and, and uh, then what would have happened? And so we, the, the stakes couldn't be higher. No, that's right. Carl, what do you think, what, what, what do we learn from Watergate that's applicable today? Well, first of all, Richard Nixon was a criminal president who tried to undermine the very basis of our democracy, the electoral system. And then you have Donald Trump, who also tried to undermine the electoral system, but went farther. He staged a coup to prevent the peaceful transfer of power to the duly elected successor, Joe Biden, who was elected fairly and freely. And then we have, in this coup attempt, the first seditious president of the United States. Imagine a president who attempts to inspire an insurrection at the Capitol building to shut down an election. The president of the United States has to be elected by the electors with the vice president presiding at 1 p.m. on January 6th. If they can't fulfill that function, then you're into chaos, maybe martial law. We had a coup staged by a president the likes of which you see in juntas, the likes of which you see in authoritarian regimes all over the world. In, in the new forward uh, to all the president's men, it, it compares the, the former president to Nixon. What do you gentlemen see as the starkest similarities between, between Nixon and Trump? Uh, uh, an obsession with hating the opposition. Nixon said so famously yeah. the day he resigned, we'll never forget this. I mean, he, he's giving this speech. He's leaving the presidency, something he worked all of his life to get. And he says, quote, always remem remember, others may hate you, but that those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. It's the hating that eats away at you. Trump is the same way. I was uh, in 2020 down at Mar-a-Lago interviewing him, and he had a video of himself giving uh, the State of the Union address, but he put in various Democrats, and they're just kind of sitting there, and Trump's right behind me. I thought he was going to bite me in the neck. <laughs> he said, see it? It's hate. It's hate. And... There's no doubt that a lot of these people hate him and he hates them, but uh, this accelerated sense of, you know, they are after me. I mean, Bernie Sanders, he was, there was a clip of Bernie Sanders, and see the hate, and, you know, it, Bernie's just sitting there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's projection? Yeah, it's a little yeah, bit of projection? Yeah. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. 
If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. We're back here with the authors of uh, the newly released, updated uh, All the President's Men, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. I, you talk about hate and the, the, the hate that uh, the former president might have for the people he feels do not constantly praise him, let's say. But I've also heard, Carl, I know you said this, that behind closed doors that Republicans in Washington just detest the former president, but they won't say it because they're frightened of his base. What was that like with Nixon? Was there a respect for Nixon, or did the, the Republicans at the time really want to get rid of him? They, they were respectful of him. Most Republicans followed his policies, liked his policies, uh, supported him pretty wholeheartedly. The difference here, you know, I did this story uh, for CNN, both in print and on the air, that said that 21 Republican members of the Senate despised Trump, disdained him, and then I got a call the next day from a former Republican senator who called me and said, Carl, the number is really closer to 40. And here you have, and only two of the ones I named, named all 21 of them, only two did anything like denying what I had written. But I had gotten this from members of the staff of each of these senators. And then you look at how craven these people in the Senate are to go along with Trumpism, to go along with authoritarianism, to go along with what Trump has done to undermine democracy. One of our two political parties has been and, and captured, captured by, the, by these forces. Yeah. And they're just not coming clean. And That's right. part of the problem in our politics is there's not enough transparency. People are not saying how they feel. Uh, one of the things that uh, struck me very much is a remark that we reported on uh, that Gina Haspel, who was Trump's CIA director, now she is a tough lady, somebody who watched waterboarding and, and so forth. And so after, about a week after the election, which Trump lost, we know, from all the empirical evidence, mm-hmm. uh, he fired his defense secretary, Mark Esper, who very well-respected person, and Gina Haspel calls up General Milley, and she says, you know, this is insanity. We are experiencing a right-wing coup. Trump is acting like a six-year-old with a tantrum. Now, we've heard some CIA directors (laughs) say some nasty things about presidents. Mm -hmm. A six-year-old? With a t- you remember when you were a six-year-old? I do. And sure. if you, you, you got a better a memory pr- than I. Yeah, sure. yeah. I, when, want when when you, when I want a balloon. I want a balloon. I want a yeah. balloon. I want a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> I want a balloon. You know, give it to me. Yeah, I mean, let it, it rip. Yeah. Let it rip. Okay, so eventually the Republican senators in 1974, led by Goldwater, once they'd heard the tapes, right? Once they'd heard the tapes, they marched over to the White House and said, you got to go because we're, we're, you're gonna be vote, you're gonna, we're going to vote to impeach you. We're not on your side anymore. 
Is that how it went down, well, essentially? You know, we wrote a book called The Final Days about Nixon's last year in office. So we went to see Barry Goldwater, the 1964 nominee of his party uh, for president. We went up to his apartment. He poured himself a big tumbler of whiskey, pulled out his one diary. One for you and one for me <laughs> also. That's Don't a, leave that out. <laughs> pulled... Okay. <laughs> But Goldwater was such this figure. Yeah, he was, and... he was considered really by that time a kind of conscience of, of the Republican Party. He pulls out this diary and starts reading to us about how he took a group of leaders from the Senate and the House, the Republican leadership, to the Oval Office, Nixon sitting across from him, Nixon fully expecting Goldwater to tell him that he's probably got enough votes to prevail and not be a, uh, convicted in a Senate trial. So Nixon says, Barry, how many votes do I have in the Senate for acquittal? Goldwater looks at him and says, Mr. President, maybe four, maybe six, and you don't have mine. And the next day, Richard Nixon went on television and announced he was going to resign. That is the difference okay. between the Republicans in Congress today and then. Can I, can I, can I, uh... I remember it. August 8th, August 9th was the resignation, 1974. Can I suggest another difference? Is that Nixon, on these tapes, in secret, there were secret recordings of him admitting to be part of these crimes. Whereas with the former president, the tapes aren't secret. <laughs> he said it out loud Absolutely. in front of everybody multiple times and for years leading up to the event that he wouldn't accept the results. Right. Is there something about the shamelessness of that that prevents the members of his party from doing the right thing in public when they are in secretly hoping the right but, thing but, happens. But there's something intervening here. It's called the Constitution and the law. I've heard and good it, things. And, and you've, you've heard about these things. Yeah. Sometimes you think Trump has not. Quaint. Because they are very, very clear that there are certain obligations. For instance... Uh, the day before January 6th and on January 6th, Trump talks to Pence, his vice president. Now, Pence is the one who's going to be leading the Congress in certifying yes. who's going to be the next president. And, he, and uh, he berates Pence. He said, you know, you, I'm not going to be your friend anymore if you don't do this. You, mm -hmm. I, I, if you don't do this, uh, you are betraying us, you are finished. Your life, you know, your political life is over. I mean, it is rumored, but I, not uh, authenticated, that Trump said to him, and I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party down in Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> but, but, but if you look at this, if you look at this, it is a crime if somebody tries to get somebody to do something illegal. Well, and, I mean, and... the reporting was that Pence said, I don't have the power to make you president of the United States. And Trump said, but wouldn't it be cool if <laughs> right. you did? And he yes. did use the word cool. <laughs> but it he really cool? did. Right. But he yeah. really thought that he could overwhelm both the law and his vice president. And in this case, this Republican stood his ground and said, you cannot do this, Mr. President. I won't do your, your bidding. We have to take another break, but when I come back, I will ask Bob and Carl about their thoughts on the future of American democracy. Stick around.
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, we're back with the authors of the 50th anniversary edition of All the President's Men, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. 50 years ago, here you are, you two gentlemen, right there. Young reporters. And I'm, I'm curious, as, as briefly as you can, how is it the two of you ended up being the ones on this story? Were, were you put on the story? Did it, ha- did it happen randomly? Why is it the two of you who were there to cover this particular break-in that turned out to be this tectonic event? It was a Saturday morning, and I was in my apartment asleep, and the city editor said, it's the most beautiful day in Washington ever. Who would be dumb enough to come in and work? And they immediately thought of me. <laughs> and Carl? I was working on another story that didn't seem as good to me as what was going on in City Desk about a break-in uh, at the Democratic National Committee. I put aside my story and said to the city editor, you know, I think I'll do some, make some calls. And I did. And that was it. Well, it's been 50 years. <laughs> right place, right time. And it's been 50 years this, this Friday, and... It was a great scandal. Uh, America, because of the functioning of the Senate at the time and the investigation and the, the party, uh, the Republican Party doing the right thing, avoided uh, a, a moment of great peril for the United States then. We've just had another moment of great peril. We're in another moment of great peril, as, as you say in your book, Peril. What is your feeling about the future of this experiment we call American democracy? Well, first of all, I mean, during 50 years ago, we had Catherine Graham, who was the publisher owner of the Washington Post. And I remember early on having lunch with her um, in her dining room at the Washington Post, lunch. And, uh, you know, and we, we had this discussion, and I said, we don't, I, I don't know what's going to happen in Watergate. And she said, when is the truth going to come out? And I said, I need to be honest with you. Never. And she turned to me and she grabbed my arm and said, don't tell me never. Okay. (laughs) Get to work. (laughs) There's another aspect to Catherine Graham. A little while after this, uh, the guard down at the door at the Washington Post called me and said, there's a subpoena server here to get your notes from the Republican National Committee. And I said, well, keep them down there. And I went to Ben Bradley, the great editor of the Washington Post, told him there was this subpoena server, and he said, make sure he stays down there. I'm going to go talk to Catherine. Went up to Catherine Graham's office, came back down, and I I still get emotional when I talk about this, came back downstairs, came over to my desk and said, Catherine says they're not your notes. They're her notes. And if anybody's going to go to jail, it's going to be her. It's one of the great moments in journalism history. And so what Bradley said, he would... 
Bradley uh, had the <laughs> great ability to find a moment. He said, oh, just think of it. Catherine's limousine pulls up to the women's detention center. <laughs> and they take a picture. And Ben said, that is a picture that will run on the front page of every newspaper, not just in this country, but the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am going to take from what the two of you just said is that there is hope as long as the truth is still pursued. Okay. <laughs> yes? <laughs> yes? If, if people are looking and open-minded themselves, the people themselves in this country, if they're open to the truth, absolutely. And it's a big question we need to answer. Are the people of this country open to the truth? And I, I believe they are. And right. I think we have got to do more hard work and find out the... De I mean, what the January 6th committee... I mean, I really want to uh, give them a lot of credit they had detail, they had testimony. There was no ambiguity right. in what they presented. Well... <laughs> <laughs> we have to go away for a commercial, but we'll be right back with more Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, everybody. <laughs> author of the 50th anniversary edition of All the President's Men. So you broke this story 50 years ago. You're still breaking stories having to do with Watergate. Please tell the story that you guys have just revealed about Martha Mitchell calling you up in <laughs> 1974 with a scoop. You did a phone call, and I'll tell you yeah, oh, yes. Oh, so I'm in the office, and the phone rings, and it's Martha Mitchell, who I know. I've interviewed her, and she actually Wife of went the Attorney General of and Under complained, Nixon, don't know. went and literally and complained about the smokestack in Georgetown that was putting... Uh, my, why the hell is my cell phone going off now? Is your cell phone going off right now? Yeah. Answer yeah. It's Martha Mitchell. Maybe it's Martha. Martha. Martha Mitchell. Okay. So she calls, and, and she said, our, uh, and this is 1974-75, and, uh, I mean, it was one of those calls. She said, so uh, uh, John has left me. Actually, she said, the son of a bitch has left me. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's right. So John that's Mitchell, right. former attorney and general. She said, now, uh, can you and Mr. Bernstein, always right. called you this, uh, come up here and, uh, you know, we you can go through his stuff in his office. <laughs> <laughs> she was just going to let you into his home office. Absolutely. Yeah. We got on a plane right then, straight to the airport. Is no, we, we checked the, the lawyers. That's our first we called a lawyer. Yes, and the lawyers said, we said, can we do this? And they said, that, you know, the lawyers are great. They said, well, this is constructive abandonment. <laughs> <laughs> Just like leaving it on the street corner sure. with right. your trash. Yes. And, and so... So we get up there and we're greeted by Martha Mitchell with a birdbath martini about like this. <laughs> <laughs> kind of stumbling around the living room and all this chintz around us. And then she takes us into the study, this, you know, wood-paneled study, and she says, there it is up there in the closet, all the books. And the closet's about 12 feet high. And uh, so I say, say to Woodward, I'm climbing up there. 
and get a ladder, go up there, and there's like a ledge up top, and I start handing the books down to, down to Woodward. And there's notes. And, and his and, notes, and, and his checkbooks, and, and his everything. checkbooks. <laughs> and uh, we got some stories out of it. <laughs> and, and, and then we decided not to disclose our source because it was the angry wife. Sure. And, and even if it's a reliable angry wife, <laughs> it's not a great thing to say we got it from Martha. So John Mitchell's lawyer called and said, you got to turn this stuff back to us. And uh, so we danced around and said, yeah, and he's, is Mitchell's <laughs> preparing for a trial and, uh, you know, going on trial for his liberty and he should be entitled to his notes. So we... Uh, we're sitting there, what the hell do we do? Do we give all this stuff back? We went all the way to New York <laughs> and, and Martha Mitchell blessed. And then we said to the copy aides, uh, emergency Xeroxing. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd give them back. And they all came and we Xeroxed everything. We gave the originals back and we still have the documents. Did you tell them you were Xeroxing it? <laughs> <laughs> Bob, <laughs> Carl, the 50th anniversary edition of All the President's Men is available now. Bob Woodward, Paul Bernstein, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives.